0: in the series on Everyday Joy. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. The best way to engage the message is with your Bible. Something to write with, something to write on, pull that out because you've got stuff that I want you to write down. I want you to hold your place while we put this whole scene in context. I want to tell you, somewhere I read about, um, it's a kind of a legend, I don't even know if it really happened, but um, Ernest Hemingway took a $10 bet
1: in a bar,
0: to write a meaningful novel in six words. And as the legend goes, Hemingway um, thought for a minute, wrote on his napkin, and handed it to his friends, and he won the bet. And what he wrote on that napkin was, For sale, baby shoes never worn. That's pretty heavy for six words. A lot of emotion in six words, isn't it? Um, And and like I said, it may not even have happened in real life. But ever since that story has been told, um, it has become a kind of challenge for writers. What's the most you can say in six words? And I'm thinking about that challenge right now because I saw someone just recently offer this challenge as a Thanksgiving challenge. The challenge was, what is the most gratitude you can offer over 2020 in six words? Which you may be saying six words is about all the gratitude I could give to 2020. But what is the most gratitude you can offer over 2020 in six words? And I'm going to give you my first stab at it, and then I'm going to give you my revised stab at it. My first stab was cured of over by a virus. That's my first stab. And it's true. Maybe not completely, but that... Sickness of overfunctioning was exposed in this year. I'd never even heard the word or the term overfunctioning before this year, and then I found out I am it. I am the poster child for it. Who knew that a really rotten set of circumstances could heal me of something I've been suffering from and causing others to suffer from for, for decades? <laughs> go ahead. You go right ahead because I am free, baby. I am free. I will be adjusting to this reality for a while, but I am making progress. So my first stab at it actually wasted some words. So here's my revised standard version of my six words of gratitude over 2020. And it is this, overfunction cured, peace restored, joy treasured. So I totally get it that now you're going to spend the rest of this message trying to find your six words. And I'm okay with that because, actually, I really just want you to hear that. And I want you to hear the prayer at the end. And I want you to uh, be infused with the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer. Out of my own six words, I have a prayer that I want to gift to you. And the prayer is this. Holy Spirit, sorry, infuse me, Holy Spirit, with joy. That's my six-word prayer. I hope you'll want that prayer enough to make it your own breath prayer. Infuse me, Holy Spirit, with joy. And all of that comes out of the book of Acts, chapter 13. Um, But we have to do a few things in order to get there. The book of Acts, I want to talk about the book of Acts as a whole, just to kind of put this scene in chapter 13 in context. It begins with the first believers being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what we call Pentecost. And after they get filled, we see a huge character shift. These... People, these, these followers of Jesus, shift from fear to boldness and from waiting to being laser-focused on the vision they've been given, their mission. It's beautiful. And out of this missional and mental shift, they really begin to do the works. Jesus did. They, they see miracles happen. Even their shadows and, and contact with their clothing creates miracles. Peter learns how to, produce, uh, how to defend the faith, and the believers learn how to share their possessions. They even learn how to be martyrs, which is part of the Christian faith. Paul is converted to Christ in chapter 9, and then in chapter 10, Peter is converted to a gospel that includes the Gentiles, which means us. So thank God Peter got it every one of these shifts is seismic. Clearly, God is setting up these first followers of Jesus, organizing and orienting them to transform the world. And now everything is in place for a missionary moment to begin. And so now we're in Acts chapter 13. And actually, there's a big shift at the end of chapter 12. And it marks the shift in the story of the early church. In chapter 13, we hear the Holy Spirit make this call. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, whose whose, name, uh, Saul's name would become Paul, for the work to which I've called them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And out of that simple call, Paul and Barnabas would set out and tell the world about Jesus, the Messiah. Their first step, their first stop, excuse me, is the island of Paphos. And a miraculous conversion happens among a high official, ironically through a heretic, with the help of a heretic, and then they go on to Pisidian Antioch. We call it Antioch. And the first Sabbath they're there, the Jewish leaders don't realize that they are bringing something radical into the house, and so they invite them to speak. They are honored guests, and their presentation then of the gospel is incredible. They take the moment and they share the gospel. Paul beautifully summarizes the entire story of God's people and he takes these Jewish believers seamlessly right up to the end to the empty tomb we tell you the good news he says What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, his children, by raising up Jesus. And now, friends, he says, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And the people are blown away by the news. I mean intrigued. The next Sabbath, Paul and Barnabas are rock stars. Practically the entire city comes out to hear them, and that's when it gets messy. So I want to read this whole next scene to you, and then I want you to listen for all the emotion. I want you to circle or underline all the feeling words and movement words in your Bible while I read it. This is Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. And then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. And so Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit." This is an emotion-packed scene. Religious leaders full of jealousy, Paul and Barnabas full of indignation, Gentiles full of gladness, more angry leaders, more indignation and resignation, and even some rejection. Everybody is feeling their feelings. And that's when the weight of this gospel gets exposed gloriously. So let's go back to verse 44 and pull this thing apart. Look at the first two verses. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. So for people who don't like things to change, revelation can be unsettling. Let me hear an amen from all you who don't like things to change. That 's what the people of Antioch were getting. they were getting a fresh revelation of God a, a new move not just listen not just the coming of the Messiah into the world but the inclusion of the Gentiles in the plan of God and that's where the unraveling actually happens for people who don't like change this is not good news this is I like to call this the gospel of of um Of floodgates and miles. The gospel of floodgates and miles. And that gospel, the gospel of floodgates and miles, that's scary. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, let a little water trickle through and the floodgates burst open. Or give them an inch and they'll take a mile. That's the gospel of floodgates and miles. And a lot of us don't like that gospel because we don't like giving up control. (laughs) we're afraid that if we give Jesus an inch, he'll take a mile. Or that once the floodgates are cracked just a little bit, we will never get back to dry land. So we, we like the good news as a matter of belief, but not so much as a matter of transformation. The gospel of floodgates and miles is a scary gospel. I'm thinking about my last trip, or it might have been my third trip to India. Um, I was there for three weeks that time, and it was so. It was a long trip, and I preached just about every day for two weeks straight. And I noticed that whenever I would give an invitation, most of those times I was preaching, we get tons of response. I mean, we'd have we'd have hundreds of people gather whenever we whenever we preached, and 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 dozens and sometimes hundreds of people would respond to the invitation to profess faith in Jesus Christ, which sounds great, right? Except that uh, in the Hindu world, in the Hindu worldview, there are thousands of gods. I mean, every household has its own household god. So asking a person who believes in thousands of gods to toss one more on the pile is not a hard ask. So a couple of weeks in, I'm beginning to catch that this is what's happening. And we get to this street, it's, it's late at night, and we'd had this, we didn't even have an argument inside our team about whether or not to do this because it was right in the middle of Diwali, and, and it was not safe actually to be out at night. But we had 500 people sitting in the middle of a road waiting for us and uh, to hear from this Amer- American evangelist. And so I decided that, that, that if I was going to go to all this trouble, I was going to honor the gospel. I would tell these people about the exclusive nature of Jesus. That he will not share your dashboard or your household altar with any other God. That he demands our total allegiance, whatever sacrifice that means. And that's what I preached. And at the end of that talk... I gave this invitation to submit your whole life to the Lordship of God who demands total allegiance that you would have to set aside every god and forsake every other idol and give your total allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. And at that invitation in this crowd of about 500 people, a few stood up, just a few, a handful. Not dozens, not a hundred, a handful. Friends, it is not a fair account of a gospel to invite folks to add Jesus to the pile. He demands our whole heart. He is the Gospel of floodgates and miles and in some areas of the world, becoming a Christian is a game changer i mean here we 're sort of we 're sort of um, conditioned to it. And in many ways, it only makes our lives better. We heard John's story. I mean, it was one thing for him to become a, to become a, um, a miserable, dry addict. <laughs> it was another thing when he finally surrendered his whole life to Jesus. I mean, he finally got it, the joy and the excitement that it brings. But i got to tell you, in other parts of the world, in Middle Eastern context, for example, their membership questions are more like, are you ready to have your family disown you? Are you prepared to die for Christ? They ask because that's what's at stake in many places in the world. Where the church is growing and the gospel is radically changing the spiritual climate, there are people who are having to live the gospel of floodgates and miles. And this must have been the flavor of Paul's gospel message. We know because while it excited the masses... It did not settle well with people who actually knew what Paul was asking of them. I want you to look at 46 to 48. Is, uh, first, um, Acts 13, 46 to 48. Then Paul and Barnabas answered the religious leaders boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, but since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord Has commanded us, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, honored to receive the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. So now we're really getting at what stirred up the religious leaders. This gospel of floodgates and miles is asking them to make room at the table for Gentiles, for people who are not like them. That's anxiety-producing for, for people who have assumed they are the chosen people. I mean, that's what they've been saying for their whole, I mean, everything. that, that the, 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 What they have heard, when, you, when you know, we talk about the exclusive nature of the gospel, what they heard when they heard the word exclusive is that I am exclusive, not God is exclusive. Do you hear the difference? And Paul gets it. So he doesn't give them a kind of a social gospel response that says, well, let me just tend to the people in front of me. No, actually he draws for a Jewish audience from Isaiah's word to the Jews, to the Israelites, reminding them that truth is not a private affair. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul takes that word to the people of God in Israel, and he uses it to shift a whole worldview. The gospel isn't only or even first about you. It is about what God is doing in the world. God's intention is to save the whole world and to use his followers to light the way. I've made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That word strikes pretty deeply at our self-centered, individualistic worldview, especially now, because we're all in survival mode. You know what I'm saying? So we're like, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to get me and mine by right now. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to tend to my own. Meanwhile, we have been called, pandemic or no pandemic, (laughs) to be a light for the nation's that God's salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. And one day, friends, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that word will ride on those who follow Jesus. God has chosen to write that story in partnership with his people. So in these verses we're seeing the advance of the global gospel, and it is compelling. We are saved, not for ourselves, but to partner with Christ in the reclamation of the world. And that, for Jewish leaders, that was an issue. Look at the next couple of verses, 49 and 50. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Now, a lot of times when we talk about Jewish leaders in the Bible, we make them out to be clueless or mean or just flat wrong. And that's not exactly accurate. Um, But a lot of our commentary is built on 2,000 years of talking about the Jewish leaders as the antagonists in the story of Jesus. But I want you to keep in mind that everybody in this scene is Jewish. Everybody. The ones who are excited and the ones who are angry and the ones who are bringing the message of Jesus, all of them are Jewish. And when I put myself in this scene, I'm not sure which one I am. I'm not sure I'd have the faith to embrace what Paul was preaching. I mean, stop and think about it. I think about somebody coming in here and, and preaching that they met the Messiah in a vision last year, and he's come back for the, you know, for the second time. Would I, would I trust any old guy who walks in here and says this? And if I didn't, how would I refute it? Wouldn't I be concerned for what was being taught under the roof I'm in charge of? Wouldn't I be concerned for your souls? Would I ask that person to leave? See, I think I understand the Jewish leaders. <laughs> Maybe better than I understand the people who just accepted it all without question. What Paul is asking is a big ask of people. Listen, to believe that the Messiah has come, that's huge. But maybe bigger for these people was the idea that they would also need to believe that there will be Gentiles in the kingdom of God. That may have been more offensive to them who have been calling themselves the chosen people all this time than the idea that a Messiah was on the loose. Integration of the tribes, for them, that may have been a bridge too far. After all, these were people who had... Prayed. I mean, in their synagogues, they prayed, God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile or a woman. It's true. Or a camel. Or a camel. A Gentile, a woman, or a camel. There. I wonder, or maybe I really don't have to wonder, what God is asking of us now, in this season, that many of us will call a bridge too far, an inch we can't imagine giving. I wonder what policy or purpose or opinion of people you are so married to that you can't imagine Jesus asking you to give on that point. Let's look at verses 51 and 52, because now we're getting to the punchline. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Verse 52 does not logically follow from verse 51. Or it doesn't seem to, right? Verse 51, they're offering the traditional sign of rejection. Jesus would tell his followers in Luke chapter 9 and also Matthew 10, you find it, if they entered a town and were not welcomed, they should shake the dust from their feet as if to say, I don't want anything to do with you. And that seems pretty harsh, right? But this is actually, think of this as a sign of grace. By telling his followers to shake the dust from their feet, after they left the town, Jesus actually isn't giving his followers permission to write people off forever. He's actually asking them to cultivate a holy sensitivity for the spiritual readiness of other people. In other words, listen to this, leave those who are reluctant to the care and timing of God. And that's God's word for me. That's curing me of overfunctioning because I can't stand that you're not doing exactly what I want you to do all the time. And the Lord is slowly, slowly in my life showing me that the care and timing of souls is his business, especially the timing, especially the timing. So I don't have to hound or shame anybody again. Let me go ahead and get an amen on that one. Thank you, Jesus. No more of that. Life is too short for that. Instead, lean into those who are ready to receive the word and work of Christ. So who in your life is actually hungry for a word of encouragement? And Who, especially this week, as Thanksgiving hits and you're with family, or talking to them at least, or Zooming with them or whatever, and you're wishing they were something they're not, who actually needs you to just leave the care and timing of their souls to the Holy Spirit? And who's ready to go to the next level of healing and spiritual formation and actually needs you to step up? Who has welcomed you in for the sake of spiritual feeding? Invest your time there. And, and, and listen, leave the rest to God's provenient grace. We see 51, verse 51, in that light. Then we understand the joy in verse 52. When you can let stuff go, you can feel the joy. I've done what I can here. Let's move on. We're done with Antioch. Let's go, people. These are spirit-filled people who get it, that the work belongs to the Lord. They're discovering that this gospel of floodgates and miles, in that gospel, they can leave the work of readiness to the Lord. Acts 13.52 is the punchline of the whole visit to Antioch. It is their their six-word testimony of launching out to tell the word about Jesus, filled with joy and Holy Spirit. Filled with joy and Holy Spirit. They were able to experience joy because they'd shared a radical gospel. There's nothing more fun. And and because their faith was in Jesus, not in the responses of people. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit rather than unholy expectations. Shake the dust. Shake the dust. Be infused with joy. That's a good word for us right about now, you know, because this is a dusty year, (laughs) a year of a lot of emotion, a lot of pressure against, a lot of confusion. Oh, my goodness, this is the year of opinions. And we are all feeling all the feelings and wrestling with changing worldviews, more questions than answered. And in that tension, it is so easy to make my outlook depend on my circumstances. It is a fact that the enemy of your soul would like nothing better than for you to go looking for joy in all the wrong places. The enemy of your soul would love to kill your sense of humor. And Your patience with people, your attitude of gratitude. The enemy of God. <laughs> I can't do it. I have to. I have to tell you what happened before the worship service. Somebody whose name will not be uh, named, but Matthew comes into my office a lot of Sundays to ask me to give him the to give him the thing. Of the week and um, so this this morning when he came into my office I was dancing in front of him and I was dancing and I was, Matthew oh Matthew oh Matthew and he just turned and he looked at me and he went what the heck <laughs> <laughs> he just went like that <laughs> oh the enemy would love to kill your sense of humor The enemy of God wants to drain your river and leave you with a wasteland. The Holy Spirit wants to invite you to open the floodgates, to be flooded, shake the dust, and be filled with the Spirit. The normative state of a fruitful follower of Jesus is Acts 13.52. Be filled with joy and Holy Spirit. That is the normative state of a follower of Jesus. Be filled with joy and Holy Spirit. It's the normative state of a follower of Jesus on mission. On mission. On mission. And that's what I want for you. I want you to be filled with joy and Holy Spirit while you are on mission. I want you to open the gift, as Mike Barr says. Open the floodgates. I want you to have the abundant, Spirit-filled life. And you know when you walk in here, I want this room. It's not about, I get it now, I get it. It's not about how many people are in here. If you walk in here filled with the Spirit, this room is filled with the Spirit. More joy, more loving, more peaceful, more Patient, more kind, more gentle, more good, more faithful, more disciplined, because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to live a life so transformed by the power of God that everyone around you is flooded by your open floodgates. Filled with joy and Holy Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, For the first time or again. And that's not a pressure on you if you're not ready. It's your gift to open. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be filled? And fuse me, Holy Spirit, with joy. So I would just pray over you be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe a good way for you to receive it is just to put your hands in a receiving position. I want everything you've got for me. Infuse me, Holy Spirit. Infuse me. And maybe there's somebody in here who needs to step back one from that and believe the gospel. I want you to hear that Jesus Christ came to give you, to offer you the forgiveness of sins. And all you have to do to receive that is to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to set all other gods and idols aside. He asks for your exclusive op- uh, allegiance. Your exclusive allegiance. Your submission for this beautiful gospel that gives you not just the forgiveness of sins, but a, but an eternal hope that heaven will be there for you when this life is over. But so much more than that, heaven will be in you. You can be filled with joy right now. Receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and be filled with With the Holy Spirit. Find your joy in your own personal faith, but also find your joy on mission in the spread of this beautiful gospel. In the spread of this beautiful gospel. Find your own six word testimony that you can spread this week as you sit around tables or on calls or Wherever you are, your own six word testimony of God's faithfulness to you. Never mind the circumstances, our God is faithful. He wants to bring joy into your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.